Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. But I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. But I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Super Talk Mississippi, you're tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Super Talk Mississippi app. And, of course, you can always find us, too, on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. And you can watch good things. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. You'll see I'm not alone in the studio today, which always makes me happy. We've got Christina Dent. She is the founder and president of End It for Good. You've heard about that before. But she's also now an author, which I think is really cool to add to your resume, Christina. And the name of it or the title is Curious, a a foster mom's discovery of an unexpected solution to drugs and addiction. I thought, what a great title, by the way. So congratulations. (laughs) It's not out yet. But when does it come out? November 16th. It comes out November 16th. So we're gearing up excitement sort of for it. And this has been how many years in the making? I started writing it at the um, right after COVID started in 2020. It was kind of one of those ideas of like, hey, you know, we do a lot of events at End It For Good. Events are shut down. Mm-hmm. I'll write a book. I'll just kind of bang this thing out in the next six to nine months. I had no idea what was ahead of me. Now, almost four years later, um, it is actually done and actually coming out. And I'm just so excited about it. Have you gotten a pre-copy? Have you gotten to hold the baby yet? I do not have the baby yet. You do not have. So that's almost here. That is an exciting, especially whenever you put your blood, sweat and tears. And for you, it's a personal story. So it makes it a more of a personal journey to then sort of see it, uh, you know, come to where it's tangible. You can hold it. Okay, so you started writing it uh, in in twenty twenty or twenty nineteen. When when did this story start for you in your life? Like when? Like where were you in your life when I guess uh, the story began that you then later yeah. write about? Yeah. So usually when I talk about the work of Ender for Good, it starts in twenty fifteen, which is when I met Joanne, who is the mother of one of our foster sons. And Joanne is actually going to be one of our speakers at our summit that's coming up also on November 16. I'm so excited. People have heard me talk about her. They've seen the TEDx talk. We're going to talk about her. And she's actually going to be there in her own words with her son, who's going to be playing some drums for us at the um, post-conference. Full circle opportunity. Yes. I'm so excited for people to just get to hear from her um, instead of hearing about her through me. Mm -hmm. So I'm normally talking about that, but really for the book, Curious, I start back when I'm nine because I wanted to help kind of tell a story that I think will resonate with a lot of Mississippians about the way that I developed how I thought about drugs and addiction, the parts of my story as a child that were impacted in some way that gave me a particular perspective so that by the time I got to 2015 and I meet Joanne, I have a particular way of thinking about addiction 
It's Which kind of, is kind of how we all are li- and share a yeah. little bit about of how that raising was. I feel like a lot of us um, who were raised traditional, um, at least Christian or, you know, and conservative, if even if it's mm-hmm. not Christian attached to it, you kind of feel the same way. Yeah. So I grew up in a wonderful home, had a very happy childhood. Um, my dad was the administrator at a Christian school in Clinton uh, his whole career. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She homeschooled me and my three brothers. Um, just a really happy childhood. I, I look back on that and think, gosh, I think I'm in like the top 1% of the world of people yeah. with just really a wonderful home environment. Um, and so I, I grew up with that and really not being touched by drugs and addiction, like personally, didn't have that really in my family. Um, and so I just kind of took in what the the broader culture told me, which is, you know, people who use drugs are bad people. And Which that you, would have been at nine. When were you born? 83. So that me too. Um, oh, happy birthday this yeah. year. It's a big one. <laughs> I just had it in July. I'm, I'm in a couple of weeks. I'm like, woo, I don't know what year this is for you. Um, but that would have been, we were the beginning or right in the, that height of war on drugs babies. Mm-hmm. I mean, we weren't the babies, but like yes. in that sort of era when it really got to be ramped up. Yeah. And I remember, I tell some of these stories in the book, but I mean, I can remember watching ads on TV about that, about crime, about how we're going to fix crime and thinking, yes, like however, however many people we can lock up, that's probably going to make me safer. And that was a big deal to me because um, I grew up in West Jackson and um, had a, a great, uh, in many ways, a great experience. And yet it was a higher crime part of town. And so um, my neighbors were uh, held up at gunpoint while we were home, you know, 20, 20 feet away in my front uh, living room. Um, tell that story in the book also. And so I had these experiences. It was kind of this multiple things that are kind of building for me this perspective of like anything that helps me feel safer is really important to me. And so I didn't really think past that, you know, these are kind of complex issues of how we pursue safety. What does that actually look like? You're or a teenager. Yeah. yeah. And so even into adulthood, thinking about just because we intend to do something doesn't mean the outcome of that is is actually the intention. Um, and so I, I got to meeting Joanne and really was still in this mindset of, um, you know, tough on crime, tough on drugs, tough on people who use drugs. Now, by this time, of, you're married mm-hmm. and you you and your husband had decided to, I guess, as a ministry or just within your home to become foster parents. Yeah. So I married my college sweetheart, Thomas. We both went to Belhaven, graduated from there. I have a degree in Bible. Um, and we had... Uh, children of our own, biological children, and then decided that we were going to foster while well, we kind of figured out what we wanted to do related to maybe adopting. And so we kind of jumped into that with no understanding, really, of anything related to addiction, even though most children who are in foster care are there for some sort of drug-related cause. We just really didn't have any education. And on do you have, I mean, did you even, I mean, you didn't have the education, but you also, you kind of get what you, what is neat, what you feel the slot that's needed as a foster, right? It's not so much as, I mean, I hate to, you don't get to choose sort of. Yeah, so you can choose kind of age range. Yeah. So we wanted like, we, we were only open to fostering children that were younger than our sons. My youngest was four at the time. And so, um, the, the children we ended up fostering were all infants. And one of those was Beckham, whose mom was Joanne. Um, and he came to us straight from the hospital after he was, um, released after his birth. And because she had been using drugs while she was pregnant, he was put in foster care, um, and brought to her house. 
And I didn't have any way of understanding that other than how could a mom who loves her child possibly use drugs while she was pregnant? I, I just had no concept that there was any other part to that story other than, well, that must mean that she doesn't love him, that she isn't really the best place for him. Um, and so he came to our house and I brought him to his first visit with her a few days later. And I just, this is going to be burned into my memory until the day I die, getting out of my van and turning around in the parking lot with his little car seat, getting ready to walk in. And here comes this woman running across the parking lot towards me and she's weeping. She runs over and starts kissing her son, who is how old? He's a, you know, three, four four weeks. Yeah, it just is like very, he's straight from the hospital. He was in the NICU for a few weeks. Um, And so she doesn't even look at me. She just is like all eyes on him, talking to him. And she gets to spend one hour of visitation with him. And I had no clue how to kind of process that experience of, whoa, wait a second, this this whole expression of love doesn't really fit with what I think. Um, and then I came back and picked him up, and same thing. She's sitting in the little visitation room at the child welfare office, and she is um, Beckham's up on her shoulder sleeping, and she's just sitting there with her eyes closed, but she's not sleeping. She just is, like, drinking him in, just trying to soak up every minute that she has with him. And for me... It just really started this um, turmoil in me about, wait a second, this isn't what I thought about moms like her. I also know that we're incarcerating a lot of moms like her um, for the same things that she was doing. And so what does this mean? Does it mean there's something to kind of rethink? Maybe there's a way to get better outcomes for people like Joanne and Beckham? Um, Or is this all fake? Does she not really love him? Is it just a big, you know, uh, just a sham? Right. And the more that I got to know her. she herself, too? Yeah, yeah. The more I got to know her, the more I saw this is not a sham. This is real. She loves her son just as much as I love my sons. She is a mom like me. And that set me on this learning journey of what have I misunderstood? And if we're even a little bit wrong in how we approach drugs and addiction, the impact of that is just seismic, which means if we shift in a way that would produce better outcomes, the impact of that could also be incredible in bringing more healing and more thriving to our communities. Which is definitely a complicated, um, I guess, thing to talk about because not every story is Joanna and mm-hmm. Beckham, for yep. sure. But there are a lot of Joanna and Beckhams. And how do you create conversation or opportunities where you can help those that want to be mm-hmm. helped or give them opportunity? And then anytime you can see families reunited, man, that's definitely a good thing, which I know you're all about, uh, Christina. We've got more with Christina Dent. She is the president and founder of In It For Good, but also now author of Curious. Coming up next. Every single day singing. Oh, we're so happy and that's how we're going to stay singing. I mean, well, I'm hurt. She's mine. I'm hurt. She's mine. Waymills are going to shine.
making your afternoon just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm a morning time, yeah. We're going strong, heading up down the river. Oh, Lord, I feel the revelation. Welcome back to Good Things. Don't forget we are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from your Supertalk Mississippi app if you've got that. Or you can watch us. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to Supertalk TV. We're continuing our conversation with Christina Dent. She's the founder and president of End It For Good. But we're focusing on her new book, Curious, A Foster Mom's Discovery of an Unexpected Solution to Drugs and Addiction. And uh, Christina, I love um, in your little book write-up that you had sent me, one of the, th- one of the agreements that or the dialogue or the disagreement, she said, I'm not sure I agree with Christina's conclusion, but her journey and what she has learned has gotten me thinking. And I feel like you and End It For Good has always been not about necessarily forcing you to think Mm -hmm. one way or the other. It's just starting that that journey of unlearning or thinking differently that you've always been, Mm -hmm. you know, hoping that we would join you on. Yeah. Is that a fair like? Absolutely. Yes. We are so committed to respectful dialogue and into inviting people into a conversation and allowing people to end up wherever they end up. Certainly we have solutions we think would work best, but our our main goal is to introduce people to the ideas and to really inviting people to learn about and think about the root causes of a lot of the problems that we have related to drugs and addiction. Because if we had if we had correctly diagnosed those and applied the, the right solution, we just would not be in the the results that we are right now. You have illegal drug use has doubled in the last 20 years. Overdose is now the leading cause of accidental death in the United States. We have all of these increasing harms instead of what we want, which is decreasing harms. Mm-hmm. And so we really invite people to come into that conversation and um, and learn about what's causing those things. What let's, let's dig into drug-related crime. What does that really mean? What's causing that overdose? What's causing that? And what are the factors that could lead to different outcomes from that? Um, destabilization of families and how we handle addiction and the approaches that help more people find successful recovery. Um, we don't want to just settle for this is what we've always done. We want to think outside the box and consider new ideas, even if they're uncomfortable, and really look into how can we bring some better solutions because I don't think anyone thinks that we're getting the kind of outcomes that we mm-hmm. want or that kind of outcomes that we think we can get. I think uh, people – uh, we haven't given up. It's not like people have said, well, you know, it just is what it is. We're just going to have 100,000 people that die every year. Like that, that's not an acceptable outcome. And most people feel that way. They're looking for a way to solve some of these problems. And so we invite them into that conversation. It's just kind of been the way that End It For Good um, even started back in 2017, which is two years before we became a nonprofit. I had just been on this learning journey after I met Joanne and I first got interested thinking about people who use drugs and whether or not arresting was helping more people versus making life harder for mm-hmm. them. Um, and then that kind of opened my mind into to learning about, oh, what, what about drug markets and crime and underground markets and cartels and all of that? Um, and then what causes overdose and why are so many people dying and really digging into that some more. And so the, the more that I did that, the more I wanted to like have other people to talk about it with and, and, think about some of these ideas I was encountering as I was learning 
and just know, is anybody else think there's something to this? <laughs> well, what about your, your spouse, Thomas? I mean, I'm assuming y'all grew up with or at least had the same values by the time you got married. Did he think you were crazy? Or did Joanna help, like, maybe shift his, his mindset? Because, you know, it, it feels like, you, you know, it would be hard for your spouse to be the first one to be a hard sell shifting. But he's also having the same experience as foster parents as mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that you're having the same epiphanies. Yeah. Whatever the word is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So he um we both got really interested in kind of like how to bring better outcomes to foster care. He ended up later um, going to work for a state foster care system for a number of years and work with foster parents. And so we both had these kind of experiences and we kind of took those in different directions for what we felt like was our takeaway and the next steps we wanted to be part of to try to bring about a better world for kids and families. Um, so as I'm kind of talking through these things that I'm learning, uh, I read um, one of the most helpful resources that I read is a book called Chasing the Scream by Johan Hari. And that's the book I ended up hosting book discussions about with people in 2017 to see, does anybody else want to talk about this? And that those ended up growing to the point that End It For Good became a nonprofit in 2019. And so I would be reading that, you know, sitting on our bed, I'd be reading and I would say, babe, listen to this. And I would read him some little, you know, a couple sentences about it. And then, you know, the next day I'd be, I'd be sitting there and go, you're not going to believe this. Listen to this. Like, I've never thought about this before. And I'd read him another little section. So I got about a third of the way through the book and he said, all right, give me the book when you're done with it. I'm, I'm, my, my curiosity is peaked now. I'm interested in learning. And so uh, I finished reading it and he read it and was like, wow, this, this is really so was a there totally like an underground end it for good. Like you guys weren't the first to like think about things differently. How long has the, I guess the groundswell been going for wanting to start these conversations? I mean, you obviously were reading books that sort of challenge the way you were thinking and open you up to new ideas about um, how we approach the drug and al- or the drug and addiction uh, problem in our country. Where did that like how long has that kind of, has it been going from the start or like when did that kind of like start? So people started realizing this isn't working. Yeah. So I think people have realized for a long time that it isn't working. And in different places, there's been different movements. Uh, a large part of those movements have been outside of the U.S. So different places like Because we're not the only place dealing with addictions and overdoses. Yes. Yeah. yes. And so you have like Switzerland, who decades ago started experimenting with um, heroin-assisted treatment. So they allow people who are addicted to heroin for whom traditional treatment has not worked to come to a clinic and use medical grade heroin and, um, as they can come up, you know, three times a day if they want to. They have to use it in the clinic under medical care. Um, but they can, as long as they don't take a, a lethal dose, they're allowed to, to take the dose that they feel like they need um, as long as they're there doing it under medical care. And that sounds bonkers to us. Like, what on earth? You are you just allowing some gas, on good things. Well, this is the interesting thing is that they found that when people are, um, when they're removed from sort of that rat race and that participation in this underground world of illegal drug use. When you bring it to the light. Street, it's like you bring them into a medical setting where they can talk with someone about the real things that are going on in their life. Because drug use is, is not about the drugs. It's about what the drugs do for you, which means the drugs are really a solution attempt. And so if you have a problematic relationship with drugs, the drugs aren't really the problem. It's what's underlying that, what's driving that need to numb yourself so 
consistently and repeatedly. And until we kind of shift that focus towards trying to solve those underlying causes of drug use and addiction, why people want to change the way that they feel, and helping them build a life that they want to be fully present for, people are probably going to because there's keep a chance using. that many addicted have so much shame and a guilt attached to it that their addiction is is numbing the shame and the it's a it's a vicious cycle. I mean, that's yeah. not this is simple for everybody, but I could see yeah. where when you give permission to come into the light in a safe space, it takes away some of the need of the shame or the guilt mm-hmm. that's driving the need to numb. Yeah, and it also gave people an opportunity to go and get a job, and they're not spending their whole day trying to get enough money through whatever means possible to to feed that addiction. And so what they found is people who participated in these programs, the majority of them stopped using heroin, which is counter totally counterintuitive to what we would think would happen when you allow people to access it legally and medically. Um, it, it happened that as people were able to stabilize their lives, they weren't part of that just chaos of active addiction in an underground market they were able to begin to rebuild their lives and and fill that kind of think of your life like a cup. You know, instead of your cup being filled up with heroin, they were able to slowly uh, decrease their dose. They didn't they weren't forced to, but they did on their own over time. They would decrease their dose. And so it's kind of like that cup uh, with the heroin decreases as the cup fills up with other things. They're able to begin to rebuild relationships with their family members to find a job, to find stable housing. And that helps more people to stop using heroin, even though they weren't forced to. And so mind-blowing, we're not there in the U.S. I was going to say, is there anywhere in the U.S. that is no, even? No, it is not legal to, to have those programs in the U.S. They have them in Canada. They work similarly with very good um, outcomes. I mean, of course, it doesn't work for everyone, but, but nothing does. So we're not in the perfect world scenario. We're looking for right. solutions that really help to decrease community harm, individual harm. And there's... Just interesting ideas out there that are kind of mind-bending, but uh, we're, we're in a crisis. We need to be thinking outside the box. Which I think is where you started with your book, Curious. So we will wrap things up with Christina Dent coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. You've got your Welcome 
back to good things. Don't forget, you can find us on your computer, your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. We're talking to Christina Dent. She's the founder and president of End It For Good, but she's now an author, which comes out November the 16th. Curious, a foster mom's a discovery of an unexpected solution to drugs and addiction. And Christina, we kind of got off track with the book in terms of the foster mom's part. So at what point, how long did you have Beckham, which was your foster son, who his mother, Joanna, is the one who sort of spearheaded all of this in your trajectory of really of life like she changed her life she really did she absolutely did she is the hero of any story i'm telling about um my journey on this um so we only had beckham for about a month and that was because she found a inpatient drug treatment program and petitioned the judge to let her go to that treatment program in north mississippi which has a on-site nursery for children of people who are in the program now, when I heard that, I also thought, what kind of craziness is this? Like how? Because, again, that, that mindset was still in me of, you know, these are untrustworthy people, people who should not be near their children. And instead, what they recognize is for a mother with a newborn, that bonding is so important. And so for a mom to be able to bond with her child in a supervised environment, be able to go to classes and go to therapy during the day and be able to be with her child at night and not interrupt that bonding is incredibly beneficial to the baby and to the mother. Um, Joanne will tell you, you know, when she would come back every day and be able to get Beckham from the nursery, she would wake up every morning and she would see in front of her the reason she was putting this mm-hmm. work in. I want to be here for him. I want to be here for him. And I'm going to do this another day. And that's what she's been doing Instead now for eight years. her and tell her she's a crappy mom and that yeah. she'll never be any good and her internalizing that and it just spiraling. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, uh, absolutely. And says, it's out. amazing to see her. Her story now, she's a case manager for a drug court program. She started a ministry for moms who are trying to get back on their feet. Just incredible work that she's doing. She's an incredible mother to her son. Um, she leads a Celebrate Recovery program that she started at her church. I mean, she's just all over the place doing doing great things. And that that's not everyone's story. I mean, certainly there's a lot of people who go to treatment, you know, five times, 10 times, 15 times. I mean, it, you can... you. I talk to people like that all the time whose children or loved ones are in that boat and they are still, I was talking with a mom last night. Her daughter has been on an 18 year journey with addiction. That is tough. That is really, really hard. So I don't want to paint the picture that Joanne's story is everyone's story. If we just give people one chance, it's not, but it has only turned out that way because she's not sitting in prison. Right. And so we have an opportunity, not a guarantee, but an opportunity if we approach addiction in, in a health-centered way. And so that's what I wanted to invite people into thinking about in the book. I go into a lot of a detail on how do I think about these kind of big, mind-stretching ideas as a Christian, as someone who's conservative, as someone who has teenagers in my own home. Um, and I, I just want to invite people onto that journey. It, it's not a hard sell to come to any particular conclusion. It is my story. It's, it's, you know, every and chapter starts with the story. would be a safe and, place to start. Like maybe you feel like you're still like, you know, you're wrestling with that old school mentality because you feel like that's always been or they should be punished or it is illegal, which, um, I, you know, I could put myself, uh, in that category, um, uh, on one end, but then there's this compassion pool within side of you and maybe you don't want to go to a town hall or you don't want to go to the like that's too much too soon so this is like a safe way to like bring your book into the home read it you know and just sort of answer some of your own questions and just continue down that road of curiosity because that's a 
good title for the book is Curious. I do appreciate, Chris, uh, Christina, that you're open about the way you were brought up um, and why you kind of had the views that you did, because that resonates with so many. And that, you know, that your heart was softened to sort of think things differently, because I think the fear for those of us who have never had an addiction problem or see it as like in that way, who have children, there is that that fear that if you just get lenient with everybody, then you're going to open up the opportunity for our kids to either be ran over by it or even more susceptible to it or, you know, they're going to run wild fancy free. And so that is the thing I think a lot of folks are kind of, you know, you, you don't you know, it's that if you, you're pulling the you're pulling the rain. If you continue to pull the reins on being harsh or hard, you're either one hard hearted and I can't help you. But the other is like <laughs> you're 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 genuinely fearful yeah. for those that you love right. that aren't of the age to start wrestling with that. Yes, absolutely. And I think those are all things that anytime you're talking about a change, you can have a pendulum swing this too far. And we don't want to do that. We want to find a middle path where we solve the problems, but we don't swing in a whole different direction and create a whole new set of problems. And so we're always going to have some problems, but I think we could have a whole lot less than we have um, right now. And we actually want to give away some copies of Curious to Super Talk listeners. So if you're in Mississippi and you email me at curious at enditforgood.com, the first 25 people to do that, we will send a free copy of Curious to. Um, this is not a money-making endeavor for us. This is we want to invite people into this conversation. And we, we want to do that not because we care about drugs, but because we care about Children, families, communities, a thriving Mississippi, a thriving world, a world where more people have a chance to live out um, who they were made to be and live a thriving life and not a life that is um, harmed in, in any way that can be prevented. And so email me, curious at enditforgood.com. I'd love to send you um, a yeah. free copy of the book if you're one of the first 25. And then um, we'll let you know when the book comes out if you are, are after that. So yeah. November 16th, yes. Would nine-year-old Christina think, what happened? (laughs) 30-year-old Christina would think, what? (laughs) Uh, Yes, and I I say in the book, even, you know, there's a lot of this that just still makes me uncomfortable. I I don't want my kids using drugs. I don't use drugs. I've never used marijuana. I don't have any interest in drug use. I don't like to be around it. That is not part of of my interest. So it is... um, it's a challenge to work on an issue where I don't have sort of this um, personal interest in like, well, I would like uh, this approach because, like, yeah. yeah, like it is somehow personally sort of beneficial to me. Um, I, I really believe this is one of the the big issues of our time that, you know, I'm almost kind of thinking about what are our grandkids going to say? Like, what are they going to look at from our time and say, like we do with our grandparents and say, gosh, there were some things I think you guys got wrong. And, you know, how how did you not see that at the time? Um, and I think this is one of the issues that we're going to look back on because the research that we know about addiction is not reflected in in our laws. We've had the laws longer than we've had the research. And so now we know trauma increases the risk of addiction. We know that the drug itself has much less of a role in a person's life as and what it is medicating has the big role in a person's life in terms of driving that addiction. And so when we continue to use trauma, which is criminal justice involvement is significantly traumatic in a person's life. When we continue to use trauma to try to fix a problem that's made worse by trauma, then we will expect to continue to get 
outcomes that are not what we want. And I think we can make some shifts. Uh, we can agree on some shifts and not all shifts. That's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that too. But something has to change. Um, yeah, but we can have a conversation and we can, we can vote, we can support, we can act based on, uh, what's really happening. And I think we have misunderstood a lot of the root causes of, of those harms. And so, um, I haven't, I haven't shifted my perspective because I changed my values. I'm still a conservative Christian. Um, still don't want people using drugs. Uh, I, I changed my mind because I, Learned some new information, and I came to believe that there are some solutions that are better in line with the values that I already had. And I want to invite people into that conversation and what that could look like, challenges, and just invite them to to see whether it's in their local faith community or it's some policy they want to see change. There are things in our hearts, in our churches, in our communities, um, in our legislature. There are changes that could be made in all of those places, small changes, big changes that I think could really significantly positively impact um, us, our neighbors, all of Mississippi. Where can we get it on November 16th and after? Amazon. So Amazon, you can yep. it there. Kindle, or? soft cover, hard cover. We got you covered. <laughs> uh, November 16, you can come out also to the Shift to Drugs and Addiction Summit at the Jackson Convention Complex on November 16. We're hosting a full-day conference. We'll launch the book there. It'll also go live on Amazon that day. You can come and hear Joanne speak, so you can Where find all she? the info. Where is she in she's the She's in lineup? Clarksdale. No, but in the lineup of Oh, the she's day. in the middle of the day. She's right at lunchtime. So even if you're in Jackson, you can't come for the whole day. Um, go to enditforgood.com, grab a ticket to shift. It's 25 bucks. You can pop over and hear an amazing woman share her story. Which I think um, is the story that we all need to be and that that should be more of the poster child of the, you know, the uh, crisis that we have than some of the others that we uh, sort of see. There's definitely an issue to be had. But here on Good Things, man, we really try to focus on the fact that recovery is possible, mm-hmm. like Joanna, and that compassion has got to be part of that recipe for us to sort of move forward um, as a community, taking care of each other. And that looks different for everything, but it starts with a different conversation. So, all right, that is um, Curious, a foster mom's discovery of an unexpected solution to drugs and addiction by Christina Dent. And we look forward to celebrating you whenever it comes out and all the good things. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Rebecca. People can email me, curious at endoforgood.com. Love to send you a free copy. All righty, stick with this. We got a little bit more for you coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She's smart and pretty. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. back to good things don't forget we are streaming live over at supertalk.fm and we're also streaming from the supertalk mississippi app we hope you know by now though that you can find us too on your local supertalk mississippi radio station and if i sound even a little bit hoarse apologies i was the referee or is it the umpire which one would it be would you be the ref if you're the third base ref or umpire no umpire is behind the plate right 
Everybody's like, what uh, sport was it? If you're playing it? it on a diamond, it's going to be an umpire. Okay, it was on a diamond, and it was middle school kickball tournament, and it was the most intense couple hours of my entire adult life. There was a lot on the line, and it staked there, and they took it incredibly um, serious for a bunch of little sixth graders. And That's the problem with, with like parents that get involved in little kids' sports. Like, we're not keeping score. This is all for fun. Absolutely the not. Kids, kids are, are keeping, keeping score. score. The kids are keeping score. And this isn't like a league. This was something at the school for a little fun fundraiser or, or whatever, and they got to make their own teams. It was all co-ed, although sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes you had all-girl teams, you had all-boy. Anyway, it was the kids who came up with their teams, their team names, and then um, obviously volunteer parents that were out there doing it, and I got the great pleasure of being the third base, I guess, um, umpire, and y'all it was just, I have, I have so much more respect. So now when I'm listening to sports talk and Haydad goes after all of the umps and we'll be like, Hey, look, they are people. <laughs> <laughs> they are people too. And they make mistakes and they're just doing the very best, um, that they, that they can. And there is like, it, an intent and an amount of like anxiety that does come with like you have to make this like decision and it's on the fly and some of them are very clear and obvious that either safe out or or nothing but but the ones that are super close you know um, you just have to but it's it is funny because because regardless of what you say whether they're safe or they're out the other there's you have disagreements. You're going to have disagreements, but because it's so, because, and they're going to be like very, you know, sure that their side, and you have both teams like hollering, you know, um, at you. And it was just like, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> I know your mother. Go back and get in line. <laughs> Uh, for the most part, though, it was it was um, it was a lot of fun. I don't remember. I was trying to think back to my school experience. I don't really remember kickball and dodgeball being what it is now. Like I feel like PE teachers or schools have brought those um, those I guess you call them sports games, whatever. Yeah. Kind of back. They were always playground games yeah. that you played. But it's gotten – it feels like the two of them have gotten a little bit more organization, not behind it in terms of it's an official sport that's going to have, like, teams, but more of, like, like kids are learning. They're playing it more often in a more organized way, at least within the school setting, I mean, you look at the the sports and games you learned about in PE class, and you learned – the dimensions of the playing surface or field. You learned the rules of the game. You learned little bits and pieces. The same thing can be applied to playground games because although you do have variations in playground games like kickball where not every kickball game is played on a diamond with bases Mm -hmm. that are clear-cut distances, but you can still teach them in a PE setting, in a classroom setting of – all right, this is the game. These are the rules. This is how you play. Now we're going to experience it. Did you play kickball growing up? Oh yeah. Could you? So did you play the kickball style that was that was uh, morphed with also like dodgeball? Like you could you could throw the ball and nail oh, someone yeah. and get them out. So they so they changed. And I, I'm now I'm really glad they changed the rules. But but the rules for today were it was just like softball or baseball. You had to tag you had or to touch the best. Yeah, to maintain control of the ball. But they didn't let all the students know that. <laughs> like there was no 
Over that the would intercom. be a problem. There's no like, hey, this is over the intercom. We cannot, you know, peg out your your opponent. But um, but yeah, I think yeah, we that- actually had the problem in reverse where you had a lot of kids growing up that played kickball and you were allowed to to peg them for an out, and then they start playing baseball. And it yeah, takes them a couple the games before they figure out, yeah. I can't hurl this thing at the runner and get them out. No, you can't. You absolutely uh, cannot. But, man, it was just good to see. I mean, 99% of the entire experience was super positive. And watching kids just get out there and join join in just non-selective game. Like they just picked teams quickly and then had the fun of the camaraderie and the fel- and then watching teams help each other and then the, the celebration. I mean, it was always um, exciting to see. You know, everyone's just sort of supported everyone. It was just a really good afternoon to sort of watch and it doesn't hurt that my kids team won. But, you know, I mean, who's keeping score, right? It was just always, it was just for, <laughs> it was just for fun. All right, plenty of scorekeeping coming up next with the Boys with Sports Talk Mississippi. That's what that's all about. But Rhino and I will meet you back here tomorrow at 2. But until then, I hope you all find time for the good things. Talk Mississippi Media Production.